0: Today I'm chatting with Michael DeGuino. Michael is a strength and conditioning coordinator at Collingwood Football Club. I've known Michael since the late 1980s, so a long time. We worked together at a place called St. Albans Leisure Centre, a health and fitness centre in the western suburbs, a rough and tough place. And as Michael said, St. Albans in those days was a sink or swim environment. Uh, Michael started with me at Collingwood Football Club in 1994 as a boxing coach. I left Collingwood and went back to Essendon. He stayed at Collingwood and has been there ever since. It's a fantastic, inspiring story. Uh, Michael went to university finally uh, after many years trying to get into university uh, and, in fact, finished his exercise science degree and now has done his MBA and, more importantly, has been... Uh, is a much-loved person and, obviously, a highly... Uh, regarded person professionally at the Collingwood Football Club. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, obviously a lot of people are going to be worried about their careers in the current climate, and Michael's story should inspire them because uh, he had to do it pretty hard over a long time and had to graft a career, and I think that's going to be common for a few years for a few people. Uh, also, it's, it's like there's a bit about the fitness industry and, and, and what a valuable resource that is for strength and conditioning graduates to start their career in uh, to, to learn all the art of coaching communication and people management and, and also prescribe exercise so at this point let's get chatting uh day michael how are you good thanks Boris. yeah great to speak to you uh michael can you just give me a bit of a, a an overview of your job title at the collingwood football club and um you know, what, what, what you do, just specifically right now, or just before you know, the COVID-19 situation?
1: I'm the, basically the label's a strength and conditioning coach there. I assist uh, Kevin White, who runs a high performance, uh, and, and in doing that, we, we sort of, uh, vary the, the warm-ups pre-training, um, organise basically the, uh, like guys with recovery, the recovery protocols, uh, managing throughout the, resistance training in the gym, we've got our strength guys in there, but we pretty much uh, uh, look at that, and yeah, assist in every other area that we can, um, having having me spread out throughout the facility, through their rehab, overall just observing um, training. So,
0: so how long have you been at Collingwood
1: Football Club? I started there with yourself, I was in 94, I um, um, was on a part-time basis there okay. with yourself, uh, and yes, so
0: since 94. Okay, fantastic. All right, so so what we'll do in this podcast, Michael, we'll, we'll 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 go through your career, so we don't have to go through it all now, but that provides sure. a little bit of a context for people listening right now. Uh, I suppose what I, what I did want to ask because I did meet you, I think, in the late '80s in St. Albans. Can can because you know it's pretty much, I suppose, the Bronx of Melbourne still. I'm not sure what it's like now. Can you give me a bit about? growing up in st. Albans and your background just just briefly you don't have to say it all
1: oh yeah I oh, know well growing up I guess it was pretty much a diverse you know suburb uh, you know local sort of a lot of the immigrants there and a uh, bit of it was a bit of a uh, people called it a rough area and so on but at the time you didn't know it but it was a bit of a pecking order as kids you sort of come from a your parents basically just knew. you uh, I had to work hard, I would say. They, were, they come from a very working class background. You were pretty much left to your own devices, but when they pulled you up, they expected you to do what they told you and so on. And, and if it wasn't being done, you'd, you'd know about it. But uh, but in saying that, um, yeah, it was one of those areas that you, uh, it was the, the sink or swim, I'd, I'd say. You, uh, you worked out which part you were in pretty quickly.
0: Fantastic, yeah, I, I, I sort of got a, a, a bit of a whiff of it because I worked there. Uh, sport. What what sports did you do when you were young?
1: Well, being you know coming in as uh, you know with Croatian background and you know being European, I played. I did play a little bit of soccer. Um, it was it was predominantly that. Uh, yeah, played some soccer, at local cricket at the, in the street. That was it. But uh, okay. it was it was predominantly that, and then went through um, into martial arts. From there to boxing and kickboxing.
0: So so how successful were you in those? Uh, Martial arts and kickboxing.
1: I did a, a style called Kaikushin karate, full contact karate. Uh, I did win a Victorian championship in that one. I progressed straight into kickboxing. Had five, six fights in kickboxing. I had a professional boxing fight, which I, I came. I was ranked right third um, in Victoria. Uh, I was basically supposed to lose that fight. I just went in as a as a filling because in the I had a kickboxing fight coming up, and I can't remember the guy pulled out. So they put me in against uh, a guy who was having a rematch. With, who was the Victorian champion? Was called Tony Moretta. This guy, Dean Hillman, was fighting him again. Uh, I can't remember if he lost the first. One. I know he won one and lost one to him, and I went up against him. And yeah, did relatively well in that. And yeah, progressed. I, I, I did fight for an Australian super lightweight title in kickboxing. That one came a draw. It was uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting. Um, yeah, it was it was really good actually. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I got got distracted along the way.
0: Oh, I see, yeah. So, so we, I've forgotten when we met, It was it in the late 80s or early 90s? I, I, I don't remember, actually.
1: Yeah, I think, I think I started at the leisure centre, I think it was either 88. Oh,
0: okay. Might well,
1: it have been 88 or 89, so it would have made me 22, I think, maybe, 20, oh, yeah, so it would have probably been 20, it was either 80, between 88 and 90, I think we, we met there, um. And I saw the guru for the first time, Loris, with his huge quads, and um, and I that was that was pretty much it in there. And I, when I first started working in as a as a pool attendant, and then you had a, a huge influence on on my whole life, basically from, yeah, from then on. Yeah,
0: yeah. And actually, I really want to actually spend a bit of time on that in terms of careers for later on with with young S and C people. But um, sure. in, in terms of, uh, were you still kickboxing then, or had you sort of given it away? I' forgotten
1: now i was I was I was a little bit on and off at the time. I had yeah. um as I said, I got distracted, a few things happened in my life I've gone. I suppose it could have gone either way, but I had another full contact shin fight. I helped out one of the guys I was working with at the facility of uh, or Rooster. you yeah, yeah, yeah don't know if you remember him you yeah. remember Russell yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah we we both went in the tournament, we both did pretty well and uh, and I was just sort of on and off at the time, but I started focusing more on my career than. Um, then I did I I loved the training I still kept on training and helped guys train and get fit but uh, I um, yeah I started focusing on on what life would be like making a career out of it
0: so your early days at St. Albans Leisure Centre was as a pool attendant so you went and did the basic (laughs) big swim didn't you and all that sort of stuff yeah
1: I think oh was it was it a big swim or to be honest it was that long ago I I know you (laughs) had a a Certain amount of laps in a certain amount of minutes, yeah. and I found that as a bit of a challenge. So I went and did that, and really enjoyed. I actually enjoyed working as a pull attendant till it started getting out of hand. We had a lot of gangs and things yeah. there, and then you, you know that uh, that component started. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it started getting a little bit, um, little bit out of hand, and, and and that's when obviously I started in the gym with yourself when you pushed me to do my Vic um, Fit. That's right, it was Big Fit now, yeah, I yeah, think was Big yeah. Fit back then.
0: Uh, yeah, it was a crazy place, I remember. In summer, they used to find some, mach- <laughs> mas- some machetes in bags. It sort of uh, was quite a... I don't, to
1: be honest, <laughs> honestly, I don't know how I didn't lose my job with some of the, my, my way of dealing with things back then with some of those brats, so anyhow.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found it an amazingly diverse, humorous... And to be honest, I thought when you were there and I was there, we were breaking new ground in the industry with a lot of new things, with you know, Kaiser equipment and circuit rooms, and it was it was a pretty amazing place, wasn't it, Michael? It
1: was actually. Um, I've always said one thing. I've said regardless of the clientele that we had there, the amount of. <laughs> We've ranged we've ranged from people, you know, from quite articulate, smart people to murderers basically and I'm not saying that right you know we both know that. Um, but I've always said I've always said and I don't understand out of hand here, but the facility, the actual equipment that we have was it was it was first rated, that equipment, especially like we're, they're, they're marketing Kaiser equipment now, Loris, and this is going back, you know, what, nearly 30 years ago. Yeah, it was Um, we had Kaiser equipment, I think Roy Cantrell, I think that was his name, he sort of brought oh, that okay. in, and you, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. negotiated that with him, I think you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've always, I've always classed it, I said, you know, I, always said to a lot of the patrons there, the guys who were in the gym and so on, I said, they didn't realise how good they had it as far as equipment goes. I've always said it's like giving strawberries, pigs—they don't appreciate it. And I'm not trying to sound out a light, here. No, no, it know, was. It we was, was a, I mean, we, we had, had we had our equipment. We, like you said, we were breaking ground
0: there, but they just didn't know it. Yeah, we we basically went in when it had opened. Well, I did anyway, and we we're just we were able to just get what we wanted, and uh, it was way ahead of its time. There's absolutely no doubt about it, and, and certainly the Essendon football players. I was working at nights at Essendon, and uh, the, a lot of the players used the the facility during the day to supplement their. Their uh, their training. That sauna, that sauna used to take a pounding, didn't it? that's quite interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, I think we should... In more ways, in more ways I than know, but we, we can. I don't think can... we can mention some of those no, things no. on
1: the podcast. But anyway, we'll, we'll, leave,
0: we'll leave it there. So so let's just go through your career path there till. Collingwood, and, and well, actually, let's just concentrate a little bit on St Albans, even to when you left, just just briefly, because I, I'm really interested in that.
1: Well working in St Albans. I, I, I mean. To, to be honest, I kind of, um, and I and I'll say this openly. I'm not saying this to sound like a backslapper here, but I, you know, once I got to know you and seen in awe of what you did, I, I really idolised what you did and how you conducted yourself and what you did, how you, you know, you were basically working the Essendon Football Club, you were managing the gym and you were going back and forth. And I was just, you know, it was good because you were such a good role model for me. I remember thinking, tis, I'd like to, you know, I want to do that. I'd love to be out but. I'm not, you know, I know physically I can do it and so on, but I don't know if I'm smart enough to be able to get the education to <laughs> be taken seriously. And I always think, well, if you don't have that education, you're not going to be taken seriously in this industry. So just stick to being a workforce, get the job done. Don't worry about the academia side of things. And I just thought, and I've never thought myself good enough to do it. So, but you know, it was just one of those burning things in my, in my gut that I always wanted to do. But, um, you know, then bit by bit, you know, you, you know, you influenced me by doing the, the big fit, and then I started taking the circuits in the gym, slowly getting away from the pool attendant side of things, which is, you know, where a lot of the staff were disappointed. They wanted me out there because they knew I <laughs> had a fair bit of support if okay. I was out there helping them out with, you know, some of those gangs and things that were happening outside in, in the pool area. But I just thought, no, nah, I want to stay in the gym. I really enjoy this environment. You know, I think I can make, it, make an impact here. Um, and then yeah, then before you knew it you were full time, you were you know, obviously you went to Collingwood that time and then you went to Essendon and then I was sort of left there and I you know, I never was virus, but I was, you know, just sort of trying to conduct myself as best I could to try and be what you kind of were in a sense around the the the, the aura you were about yourself in the gym and the way you the way you went about your programming. And the, the respect you had from the, the patrons and the staff who always, no, we want Lawrence to write our program and so on. And I thought i got a little bit of that, not to your level.
0: You became the gym manager by the time you left St. Louis, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, I did. That's fantastic. We, we can talk about uh, the, the leisure industry a little bit more. And probably why I want to talk about it is I think in the current crisis, a lot of graduates are going to have to go through that path you know, working in in, in 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 council centres and gyms, and and, and work yeah. their way through to high performance. So I think it's a fantastic career path. And as you know, and I know, you know, customer service and working hard, you learn a lot in those places that you use in high performance settings. Personally, so mm. Collingwood, ninety four. Do you remember what I told you when you got the job? Oh, vaguely now, something
1: because I did cop a few whacks in the head there over the years.
0: Um, <laughs> no I just told you to, I gave you a thousand bucks and I said uh, you're here for a year just shut up and do the boxing and
1: we'll see yeah how well that was well that was <laughs> an. You know, that was always basically you basically said just do your job get in and, and that was that and, and that's basically what I did I, I remember going there and I thought Well, oh, I don't know I don't know much about footy or whatever but no, nah, I want to be by Lawrence's side I wouldn't mind helping him I want to do what I can, and you know, and yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. I remember when I walked in there, thinking how big some of these guys were, and because I didn't really follow a about a, a great deal, and, and it wasn't until I sort of went in there and then saw what you actually did, hey, you, you know, how the players would adhere to what you said and the programming, and so, sort of, yeah, it was um, it was an eye opener. It definitely was, and and it was funny how I guess you didn't have to tell me to be quiet. I did keep my mouth shut, but I actually. You know, it took them there was a lot of boxing sessions we did and yeah, you got to meet some good people there too. You got to meet a few egomaniacs. But yeah, there was a there was a predominantly good bunch there too.
0: And what was your memory of that first year? Anything that stood out like you know, was Monkhurst or any anybody? Yeah, other than
1: <laughs> other than driving my valiant down there with a <laughs> with a water bottle in the back just in case when it when it used to overheat. <laughs> um, uh, no it was it the memory was I, I just think about you had such a big group of players. Now everything's obviously it's um, a lot more individualised in smaller groups and so on. But having such a big cluster of players and they're all listening. I know that sounds a bit might sound a little bit simple now, but you have got to understand this is back in '94, and you know me walking into a place and how quickly they'd listen, adhere to what you're doing. And I, I, obviously the memories were. You were putting them on a different program To compare to what they were I think they were coming back just from that You know that usual that uh, Endurance based running Standard sort of body weight Exercise weights Where you put them into Straight into a Like a A power program Where A a lot of the players didn't know What the hell was going on But then you got a lot of them on board And I also remember If there was Obviously coaches at times If they don't know much about a program I think Lee Wasn't too familiar with the leg weights And so on And then you were. You spent a bit of time trying to persuade him um, and the staff how, how good a program it was. And it's it's interesting now, sorry, I'm going off track here, but it's interesting now thinking back about that, how how you were implementing something that now is basically just part of any AFL program, the, the you know, pep, the power routines. And this is going back in 1994. So, you know, you're you basically... <laughs> You know, you're talking about being a front runner in the gym with that equipment, but you're also there with the programming that you're implementing. That people, because they didn't know much about it, they were scared of it. So, anyhow, yeah, I do. That's the sort of things I remember.
0: Oh, for sure, and I think um, I never forget Ron Richards saying that uh, they don't do that. Race horses don't do weights. That was uh, a fairly impacting statement, and difficult to really uh, difficult to really answer. And uh, I, I had, um, I think Bowden, Babichak, and a few other people, his mates had been there the year before, so a few of the guys had been learning how to do Olympic weights. But in terms of the full-blown running program, you're right, um, I was trying to introduce a totally different method, you know, from, from from the gym through to running, and, and, and that was a, a massive challenge. And, and really, you know, it took many years. To, to sort of convince people that it's an intermittent power sport. So so you, yep. you I left. You stayed quite a few years. Now, you, you finished up doing your degree at some point, right, your exercise science degree. Just take me through a bit yep. of a timeline how that happened and how you progressed through to that point because I think that's quite fascinating, really. Well, I got
1: in. I applied a couple of times. I didn't get in. And... Um, and then I, uh, I think it was Michael Burke, who was running the program at Vic Uni, and I basically got on the phone to him and said, well, I'm predominantly working part-time at a footy club. I'm managing a gym. I've done all these courses. Why, uh, why, why can't I get him to do this course? And, and he was just sort of, he also was scratching his head too. And then finally, yeah, uh, I, I, I did two subjects, two paying subjects one semester. I think one was anatomy and the next one was intro to human physiology. So I said, I'll pick the so-called two hardest subjects. And then I'll reapply, so, I, and obviously would have got exempt. And that's basically what I did. I did those subjects. It took me a year, I did one subject, one semester, next, and the next year. And um, and then I applied, and I finally got in. And I, once I got in, I got a lot of exemptions. So that was I think, two, yeah, 2001. And then, oh, okay. it still took me four years to do, because I still, I was, you know, I was predominant. I was working full-time at the leisure centre, working part-time at the football club, and studying. So it was, I don't know how I did it now. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I don't know how I did it, but I um, and at the same time I, I ruptured my bicep uh, oh. doing some sparring with Big Anthony Rocker. I remember, and that was a, uh, that was my left arm. And then the footy club were really good; they looked after my waist uh, at the left centre. I took that time off, and I took on another six subjects, and I come close to finishing it up around about the time. So
0: fantastic! So. So, have you done further study? You, you, you've, you've done something extra, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I have. I've done i I've also done an MBA. Done a master. Done head, an MBA. So.
0: I cannot believe. Yeah, and
1: it sounds a bit. I know, it sounds a bit funny, Lawrence, and I didn't like it myself, But kind of uh, the footy club were offering that, and then um, and then I don't know why I did it. I didn't really, to be honest. It, there was a few subjects I really enjoyed, but some of them were quite dry and boring. But because the club were offering it and. A lot of people around me were talking about how good, uh, you know, uh, butters were saying pretty much, you know, it's just, just, big deal to have. And, um, and I think I finished it just in time I met my wife by that time and I just said, no, nah, I don't need school anymore. I'm done. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and yeah, but you that it's good to, it's, it's good to have it. Whether I uh, utilize it much, but I don't know. But, um, for me, the big badge of honor for me was getting my exercise sports science degree. As I said earlier, I never thought I was capable or, or, or academic or wise enough to do it, and um, I had to get booted to do that because I didn't understand a lot of the maths that were involved, I had, to be honest, didn't know how to write an essay properly, um, you know, I you know, I just had no idea, but, you know, I persevered, I persevered and persevered, and, and it paid off, so, you know, I was very, very proud of that achievement.
0: Oh, yeah, I was I was absolutely stoked, and, and, and obviously, I, I pretty much after a couple of weeks getting to know you, apart from... Some of the funny things that went on at St Alban's. I, I knew you were a bright, you were a bright lad, and you know that you could do those things. It's just, just getting to the line, and, and then giving people that insight and the opportunity is is the critical factor, isn't it? And you seized it, which is which is you took it with, with both hands and you went for it. So certainly, you know, you, you you're probably the old. You can take the boy out of St Alban's, but you can't take St Alban's out of the boy. I'm sure you still got elements yeah. of that in you. But, yeah, what you've done yeah. is, is quite quite amazing, quite an amazing ex- achievement, really. We're at Victoria Park, and when, when did you leave, when did Collingwood leave Victoria Park? Uh,
1: 2004, we oh. started up at the, it was back then, the, mm. the Holden, or Lexus Centre back then, or Westpac Centre, now it's the Holden Centre, for how much longer, I don't know, but, um, yeah, it was yes. 2004.
0: Look, you don't have to go, you don't have to answer this very specifically, really, because this podcast is not really about this. when I left Collingwood to to now, how much has chart tra- trading changed over these years? you know what have you found? Yeah. What's your experience?
1: Well, I just think that like the the programs um, it's obviously you know the the amount of staff that's involved um, like back in the day there was you said when I remember working at Collingwood with yourself, you were you were pretty much privileged to have a part timer and then myself as well. And uh that wasn't you didn't even have that at Essendon back in it when you were there. So um it's changed from that to probably having maybe at least eight or nine nine of us now within, you know, strength and conditioning, sports science, dietary, um, two guys in the gym, plus the crossover from BFL, those guys in there as well. Um but the actual training itself, it's it's a lot more individualized. Um you don't have you know one one glove fits all like you have the whole group training. You might have them all doing the warm up together and so on, but they all basically get split up in groups. You've got your line coaches. Well, back in the day, you had a coach. You might have had an assistant coach, and that was it. But now you've got you know five probably different coaches, um, and they're all working in their own uh, IP areas. Um, they're all working differently. So that that growth. Has been huge Whether that's a good Or a bad thing You know You know Some people That are in That are employed They'll, they'll say it's a good thing But you know Sometimes uh, I think we spoke about this Before on a personal level that, You know Sometimes you can hear A bit too much When you've got too many Other voices there And you've got to be Really careful with that mm-hmm. You've got a good team On board I think you know Most people can work That out pretty well But you want to be All given the same message Not different messages And sometimes You know There can be confusion There with With um with having too many people controlling and that's where you've got to have your ego intact and let, uh, let one, uh, one captain steer the ship as they say, but it, it's changed so much. It is compared to back in the day, the, the individualized programming is, is, uh, it's huge, you know, to, that component. And that's where, why you need more staff because you now you've got psychiatrists, psychologists, welfare officers, Pilates coaches, you've got, um, we've even got our own cook.
0: You know, so there you go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, look, it's fantastic. I saw those changes starting to happen in the mid 2000s, but nowhere near what it is now in terms of you know the width and breadth. In terms of GPS data and strength and power and speed, uh, just just sort of finishing up on this topic about training, certainly at Collingwood, there was quite a shift, wasn't there? So, David Butterfink was there, then and you had another fitness guy who uh, was working the endurance side of things a fair bit, not a criticism, just a fact, and then you've switched back to a sort of a speed power uh, type emphasis and and obviously it seems to have worked because, you know, the team with young players has been quite successful. Can you go through a little bit of those changes in terms of philosophies and how you use like GPS to monitor that and, you know, and and understanding why you did that? Yeah.
1: well, the GPS we found is predominantly... And that um, when David Butterfield was there, um, Kevin White, who runs the program now, is pretty very, very switched-on kid. I shouldn't say kid, he's a grown man now. Um, but he, uh, he sort of looked after the GPS data. He, he was employed as a sports scientist at the time. And, and predominantly, the, the, the GPS stuff was always used to track players, how far distance, speed, velocity and so on that they're running. But it's, all, it's also based on a good training tool, because a lot of the coaches took out of that, once they sort of understood the data, they could actually um, specify their drills, or how much distance, how much speed they're covering, um, how much drive they're going to get through whatever uh, program they put in, or whatever training drill they they put in, and that's where they used a lot of the GPS data, and you know, you obviously monitor that and look at that on on match day, but we used it more as a tool through pre-season, through training drills and so on, and that's basically where they went. And yeah, um, Bud was on, in that sort of program where he changed it was from a bit of endurance that went through Noel Duncan to, to Butters where he was a bit more speed orientated, Um tried to implement a bit more of the strength and power program which I'm pretty sure you, you went through it, you, you, you basically showed him how to do some, um, some of the Olympic lifts. Obviously didn't show him that well because I saw a couple of his power clean locks. Anyway, just joking there. Um, but anyway, um but I remember that, and then when Bill Dabron came in, it was more endurance based and more steady state running. Um, you know, and there was, you know, again not being a criticism, but they're facts. You know, we we always know if you're going to you're going to train for something, you've got to try and replicate what they're doing out there. And you know, I think Scott Burns is the perfect one that said. I always remember him saying, "I don't care yeah, what people say, but when you throw the footy out there, two guys are going for it; they're going to run that ball a million miles an hour." Mm. And that's how you've got to train And that's what you've got to try and replicate And I always thought that was a good analogy mm. And um, yeah, and then when things happened Bill left uh, Young Kevin Moved up The sports scientist Which again I always remember him When he came in from Ireland I think he came in 2011 Very switched on kid And he was always He was always in the one saying It's going to go down the individualised path Where You know The mids are going to have to train like mids And um, You know Backs and so on And uh he uh, he didn't just change the program just to you know we we've always been big on we both have been big on intermittent speed and, and, and power and that's how you got to sort of train but he was always big on his communication with the players and I you're going to touch you might want to touch on this later but I think with the athletes first and foremost you got to have a good relationship with them, Morris. As you know, you can't get them to do what they want for you unless they respect you and have belief in what you're doing. And, and that's where he's got them on board with that. Um, and, you know, there's obviously now, you know, the way things are run, you've got to have a little bit more care factor around your players, a little bit more positivity than negativity. You know, positive reinforcement goes a long way. It's where, you know, along with having that wealth of knowledge with what you know and, and your, your beliefs and your philosophies, you've got to have the players on board. And if they don't... If you can't get them to get on board, they're not going to do their best for you. So I think respect and that whole um, care factor goes a long way with your athletes these days whether it's an individual or a group you know you've you've got to have that connection you've got to know your athlete the only way you do that is you can work with them for a long period of time so anyway I don't want to go too far into this because I might go off off
0: track there Uh, that's fantastic yeah so so, all right. So, we don't, we won't give away trade secrets of your training, but obviously, there, there's quite a, a, a larger. And obviously, Marty Gervin was there with David Butterfield, and he had a big impact on their strength. He left, and
1: yeah, yeah Marty Marty Gervin was fantastic. Yeah, he was, yeah. uh, he was probably one of the casualties in the in the era when Bill Dabron was there. But um, we're basically or predominantly doing everything. A lot of the programming that we're doing now with the power work is. Um, is very much on the same page as what Marty was doing, and take it back another twenty years. What you were doing when you when we started when you started calling in '94? <laughs> yeah. No, well, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that to be a backslapper, or just saying that because I'm talking to you now on the podcast. But that's something that I've witnessed and experienced. So yeah, I can. you know, I'm not saying I'm a, a rocket scientist, but I was there, and I've been there for that duration. So I, you know, yeah,
0: as much I as it that, behold,
1: those things, you know.
0: It was pretty obvious to me. It took me a few years to be honest because I was part-time and it was pretty obvious once I sort of worked it all out that uh, you've obviously got to be fit enough to repeat speed and then as you say, you, it's a contact sport, you've got to be able to get to the ball, you've got to be able to accelerate away and uh, you've got to be able to hit bodies and you've got to be able to do that for two hours and smash the crap out of people. So. You train like that, you know, um, and that's, 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 you know, I train people like footballers and you know, not track and field athletes, but obviously I use my knowledge to, to, to do that. So, yeah, it was, it was, it seemed obvious to me and then I couldn't believe some of the stuff that you see, probably even sometimes still now. What advice do you give young SNC coaches coming into the industry, you know, and that's why I spoke to you about St. Albans, apart from being, you know, quite interesting and funny. Uh, about and obviously now with all the events happening in the world, and then you've seen yep. interns, you've seen cocky kids, you've seen nice kids, hard workers. What what do you you know? Kids, a lot of people are still going to want to get into the industry. What advice do you give young coaches, young strength and conditioning coaches? Sports scientists I, I think
1: yeah, I, I think it's important that they get the experience of dealing with athletes first up. Um, not not just athletes, but just dealing with people in general, mm-hmm. um, learning personalities um i i think that that helps understanding how say profiling an athlete but also you you get that wealth of experience and that's not going to come after basically from just learning a degree or picking up uh, a masters and so on that comes obviously with maturity and age i think that they they need to that up and if you get into a position uh, which a lot of times you get into like I did you will get someone that refers you and then you are basically to your own devices but if you do get into a position like that it's so easy to get caught up in being buddies and mates with these guys because footballers or athletes in general a lot of times they they'll gravitate to people that will tell them what they want to hear not always what they don't want to hear but it's about learning those personalities and those traits and those players and it's you know much as you've got to get to know your athlete you've got to keep your distance at times too so yeah, you know it, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a life it's a life lesson where you've got to learn to, to how you conduct yourself with them because they're so impressionable you forget that a lot of these guys are still quite young and but i i just think that it's it's that learning how to deal with people also learning now when to pick your, your to pick your fights if that makes sense your battles yeah. uh, as we know loris sometimes you know you, uh, you're going up against basically a hundred men and you and you know, you're just not going to win that one. So sometimes how you deliver a message and how you go about it sometimes is crucial. Again, these things happen or you only learn that in, in maturity and as you get older and, and picking your battles. And I've, you know, put my foot in it enough, uh, enough times to know that, yeah, well, I'm better, um, better just sit back here and, and, uh, if I have this conversation, I'm better off having this conversation one-on-one instead of a group. And, and it's just that. It's just, it's learning that because I've no doubt any S&C kid or whoever comes in from a course will have the knowledge. They'll understand. They'll have the mechanics. They'll know how things work and operate. But, you know, you don't, 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 uh, what I'm probably trying to say is don't, th- uh, don't take for granted just the human side of things as well and how people can behave. It's good to stick to your philosophies and stick to your guns and, and understand your principles and what you, what you believe. But if you're working for a boss and if someone wants you to do something, it's all well and good, you've got to do what they want you to do, but somehow bring your philosophies out, nurture them out, just trying to um, force it upon someone, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, you've got to sort yeah. of get, people to be, get them to believe in you first, you know, without you um, pushing your product too quick.
0: Exactly, and I think the experience you had, you know, working with the public over many years, which is I think a lot of S&C coaches should do that sort of work before they enter the elite field, in terms of communication, oh, it stands you in. A oh, but
1: it's invaluable. Yeah. In, that 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 was invaluable. I mean, what what we learnt working at that leisure centre, you don't realise and growing up in the environment I grew up. Mm. I mean, a lot of times you going into work. I mean, just a quick story. They working as a pool attendant. And I you know I was we had a security guard getting beaten up, and I'm there getting in the middle of it, stopping them. I had two girls. Once were one one had a knife, one had a steel bar, and you know you you got to sometimes. I oh, know it's it's you know, that's just a couple of stories and you think to yourself, you know, not to mention some of the the creeps that were in there around that area. So what happens is that you you profile people fairly quickly. You can work out the good and the bad in people because you're seeing it every single day, especially on those hot days where you have your wits about you and then when you go into an environment probably a bit different to that, but in a sporting organisation you you also work out, you know, who the opportunists are, who's the who's the negative one, who's the positive one, and then you sort of go, you know, you, you, you've got to form your own little personality there too. And and that that, that education that we got there, working at that facility, Laris, so I just think that was... You're not going to get that education in a Master's or a PhD or whatever. You can't be taught that. That's something you... If, you, if you're lucky enough to survive and get through, it's probably the best education you can get.
0: Yeah, and no, I think in the current climate we're where, you know, jobs are going to dry up for a while, hopefully not too long... I think a lot of young SNC coaches have got to look towards the fitness industry and personal training and 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 work hard in that industry learn how to communicate learn how to uh, understand people have empathy with people and then build yeah. that profile slowly and patiently just like you did you know and, and on the back of knowing how to coach knowing how to, to deal with human emotions is very important Definitely So Definitely a normal day for you you know, on a Monday, what's what sort of what do you what? Give me an idea when you get to work and just a quick quick overview for people.
1: Yeah. Oh, look on a Monday, for example, pre-season, I'm usually in at work by seven o'clock. The guys are in, they're doing their um, wellness, and you know they're filling out their uh, their diary to see where they're at. You're usually giving scores, and you know, you're you're basically floating around, getting around again. It's like I say, getting to know your athlete how's your sleep, how, how's things, and you're basically just talking to them about uh, how the last 24 hours have been, how they're feeling, how their body's, where they're at, and then you sort of filter through, and we all basically do it. Um, and then, you know, the guys are in preparation by that time. They're getting a little bit of treatment. They're getting a bit, bit of IP going. Um, uh, they're getting, uh, like, the activation happening, and then we'll have a meeting by, say, 8 or 8.15. Players will go into their meeting, come back out, then they start strapping up, Getting ready to go outside. We have our discussion. We have a meeting every day within the medicos and the rest of the S&C team. And um, you know, we'll discuss, we we'll go through the list. We we'll basically discuss who's, who's um, who's, where, 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 where the players are at. If they're full training. Um, if they're rehabbers, long-term injuries and so on. And we plan out the program for the rehabbers even, you know, right through to the full guys who are full training. Then we'll get the guys out. We'll obviously, split up the groups, and everyone's got their own little entities. Whether it be the rehabbers, physios, uh, either myself or Kevin will take out the warm ups. Usually on the main sort of training sessions, Kevy takes warm up, on the others I'll take them, um, and then we'll filter through. Then I'll check back inside. Programs, you know, have the programs written up for the guys who are doing the cross training inside, um, and that basically goes right through to lunchtime, and then uh, post lunch, um, guys will come in, and then we've got. We'll have two to three different groups training, so we might have the be forwards, mids or backs. Some will be in the gym, one will be getting treatment, and some of the others will be with the coaches, going through edits and match play, and they'll rotate three times and we'll finish up by about, say, 4 o'clock, and that's basically pre-season, um, in-season. For us, it's always a little bit easier because, you you know, other than the stress of winning or losing games, plus losing players to injury, uh, um, the load's a lot lighter and we're sort of pretty much governed by when they're playing, If it's a Friday, Saturday, Thursday, whichever day. And then, you know, we just sort of manage that throughout the week. Um, Six day turnarounds, obviously a lot less involved. Seven or eight days, yeah, we can sort of implement a a bigger hit out on training. But it's all based then on getting the players prepped and ready to go for training.
0: So, what's a normal game day involvement for you, Dukes? What's the sort of. What time do you get there? Well,
1: when I was, yeah, well, Game day now, I'll, I'll pullback, back. I might go in there and just, um what I'll do on game day now is look after all the rehabbers, um, and the guys who are training. So the guys who aren't playing, we manage there, try and replicate as much as we can on that day. So we we'll really try and load them up and give them a big session, whether that's the guys who can, who aren't nearly ready for training, who are pretty much there. So they'll do a few, anywhere from 10 to 12 kilometres on the, on the um, training track. And that's, you know, pretty smart for someone. and so on. Bit of extra conditioning with running, and then they'll go in the gym and do their exercise. Or if they're not at that stage, they'll be doing their conditioning there. But when I was doing it, it'd be predominantly going in, helping out with the warm up care. Okay. Yeah, when I when I was doing the when I was doing the match day, so on the match day, would, would basically consist of helping out with the warm up once the players get in. So obviously, when we're on the ground, we do work out the rotation. When I was on the bench, we would be working out the guys would be filtering through. Uh, how many minutes they've been on the ground, you've got a laptop there and you're basically telling you who's on red time, green time and so on and then you're trying to get the players and you're just filtering messages through as subtly as you possibly can so the coaches, the line coaches get to know who probably needs to be rotated off the ground a bit quicker and after that was when I was doing match day. I don't do match day anymore other than um, the conditioning component for the guys
0: who, who are plaguing or injured. Has your hours and your work involvement changed a lot in the last 10 years? Do you find you're doing more hours, less hours, more research? What was the impact of the, the job on your life?
1: Well, up until three, three years ago, it was, the load was higher because I don't have to do match day means I don't have to travel anymore, which hasn't been a bad thing in a sense where I get that family time now and spend that time with my wife and daughter. Uh, up until then, yeah, it was quite, quite big, especially the interstate trips. As you know, you go away and it's all well and good when you're on your own, but when you do have a family, you do tend to sort of miss out on those things on the weekends. Definitely the load's gone a, a lot higher and, um, As far as the research goes, it's difficult doing that research in-season, and then when you get that off-season, you want that time to recharge and refuel, so you really got to pick, if you're going to do a course or do some research, you really got to be mindful that you're picking something that's not going to be a waste of time, which there is a lot of stuff out there that can be that, but you tend to sort of really want to specify the area that you're working in. So if I'm doing a fair bit with rehabbers, or I'm doing a lot more on recovery, which is a big component now that I've been, a huge one that I've been sort of been given the task of now. We've got, you know, we've got our infrared saunas, we've got magnesium in the pool, uh, trying to focus more on cryotherapy and, and everything that we can. And there's always data coming out that's for or against. And as you know, a lot of people do research, they a PhD on something for three years, and that could change in three years' time. So depending on how big of people they've surveyed or studied, it's going to vary on what sort of outcome you get. But one thing I've learned that we get to give the players what works for them. And if they feel like treatment, massage works, or more sleep, um, fueling the body with food, so on, we just try and cater for that, because that's one thing the athletes learn a lot about their themselves and their own bodies. They don't learn that in the first year or so, but as the years progress, they know exactly what works for them, and that's what we pretty much try and drum into them the whole time. Do what works for you, and it, as you know, if it feels good, Do feel it.
0: So obviously we're in a really strange time with, with this COVID-19 problem in the AFL and, and, and everybody's just waiting to see what happens in, in the sports industry I'm hoping that that doesn't impact for you too much obviously it's already impacted a lot of people in the AFL industry which is pretty tough for some of them all you guys don't really know what's going on at this stage do you? No, no we don't me probably
1: personally along with, with millions of others you know, we all well, no, we don't know really what's going to be happening with with the World Post Cardboard. In the meantime, I think that I think initially it's hit everyone between the eyes. Um, first, it's about my job or you know your livelihood and so on, and you you go into you know you go into survival mode and you think about yourself initially and your family, and then you know once like even now you're starting to sort of think, okay, well, how can I make best of this time? And I'm I'm trying not to beat myself up too much by thinking about that other than well i've got this opportunity to be with my wife and daughter a bit more um who knows what's going to happen in a few months i might still be in the same boat it might change it might not but on a personal level i'm you know doing a lot of stuff that i'm passionate about and one is help send sc- footage of my daughter and doing a little bit of self-defense with her spending time with her of, running jogging and getting to know each other even more i mean I'll, one thing i've always proud of myself on that's been my that that, that that's and that's where I'm at at the moment. But where it's headed, look, the only thing we can think of, if, if the season starts again, which I'm, you know, I'm hoping it does, but I just think it's going to be really tough. If, if, you know, it's going to be one of those things. How do you, how do you manage that? And you could probably answer that question way better than I could, Loris, but I think that even once this, once this sort of hit, when we, we basically isolated ourselves from the administration department, at work, um, such minimal contact with players, you know, only us guys in the gym were contacting the players and that's it. Uh, you know, hygiene, someone's been lifted because it's, you know, you're basically waiting for any moment for someone to be t- tested positive and shuts everyone down. So but even if this does start, you know, they're talking about playing in, in small hubs and look, I, I don't know how it's going to work, but I do know if we go back to it this year, there'll be minimal staff, I think, um, minimal contact with players, and they'll probably be small clusters of players. There'll be a lot riding on it, and all it's going to take is is one positive test, and it's um, it's all just going to go back to it. And mm. let's hope one day a vaccine comes through, and I think that's going to be probably the saving grace for the whole world, not just the AFL.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, sure, and I think I think certainly what what I really wanted to apart from just your life history and your history in the AFL was was for young staff to look at where you came from the time it took for you to to work through uh, to develop a CV and obviously to to get to, to get to where you are and that it's going to take people a lot of patience but with the drive and commitment and passion that you you showed and demonstrated um, a lot of these graduates can, can can achieve what they want as long as they're patient, even in the future, post this situation. Mate, it's fantastic to talk to you. Um, I look forward to hearing about your next Masters in, I think, Croatian opera or something like that. I'm not sure what you're going to be doing it in. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Maybe hair transplants. Okay, good. Yeah, hair, hair transplants for Croatians, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it absolutely yeah, you know, mind-boggling story it's inspirational stuff and it's just a pleasure to know you and you're actually an inspiration to me mate and um, thanks for chatting
1: um, I'm chuffed that you say that Loris because I said it all started with you mate so if it wasn't for you mate who knows where I'd be Loris um, but yeah thank you for me and for my wife and daughter too so thank you for doing everything you've done for us too mate thanks
0: heaps, Loris alright ciao Dukes thank you take care Stay in touch. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.